Well, beloved, having just heard Proverbs 31 in song, I invite you to join me in turning in your Bibles to that chapter. We're commanded by God to honor our fathers and mothers, and so we don't just want to bring honor to God today, although that's first and foremost in our minds, it should be, but we want to do right by God by honoring our mothers too. And Proverbs 31 is the preeminent passage in the Bible, not just on motherhood, but on biblical womanhood. So this doesn't just apply to mothers, it applies to all women, but it does focus on wives and mothers. And uh, before we get into it, let's ask the Lord to, to bless our time. Father, we do thank you for mothers, and we do so acknowledging that for this day, uh, many, for many, it can be a difficult day um, when you've lost a mother or a child, or maybe if the mother-child relationship is broken or strained, it can be hard. And, and so, Father, we come first and foremost uh, on behalf of, we want to intercede for those. And Lord, your grace is sufficient. Uh, we pray that you will be the God of all comfort today for, for those who might be hurting. But we do thank you for the gift of mothers. So as we look more into what your word has to say about them and, and more broadly about women, I pray the women of our church might strive for the high standard we're about to see and that men might spur them on to that and, and seek that. And above all, while we do honor mothers, may it be your name that is most greatly praised. As we've just sung, blessed is the mother who turns to God in praise. You come first. And so we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm going to read from Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10 to the end of the chapter. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives, her, gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. 
Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the will of God for women. It is the description of the ideal godly woman. It is not the description of a woman that it is impossible to be. It is not the the woman you might wish you could be but just can't. No, it is the ideal godly woman. The Proverbs 31 woman should be every believing wife, every believing mother, every believing woman's goal. If we believe what the Bible says, that God has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, which is what 2 Peter 1.3 says, and if we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to change us and to, to sanctify us, then Christian women everywhere should not hold what we just read to an impossible standard. Because it's not. But as what women should strive to be every day, and for the men in the room, because I'm not preaching to just women this morning, it's who we should pray that our wives be, it's who we should encourage them to be, it's how we should, yes, lead them. And that's not happening in most of the world today. Uh, And especially not in our Americanized Western culture, and not even in the church. Men aren't, by and large, praying for this. Um, women aren't striving to be this. In fact, if you were to read this text in isolation, if we, if we were to just print this out and take it, and take it into the, the town circle and find somebody and just read this and tell me what you think, what they would probably say is that this is patriarchal, it's sexist, it's repressive, and it's a relic from, you know, people like to say the 1950s, so we'll say the 1950s. Completely unacceptable in these enlightened times we live in. Now, I was born in 1976. One of my oldest friends turned 40 a couple days ago. It reminds me I'm about to turn 40 myself. 1976, the so-called women's movement was really gaining steam. Uh, Three years before that was that silly tennis match between Billie Jean King and uh, Riggs. Riggs, yeah. Yeah. but even I can recall a day when in things like advertisements, women were depicted as uh, being with children. And uh, it wasn't considered uncouth for them to be standing over a stove with multiple things going on and working with something with the tool they were using in their hand. But that was then and, and this is now and that is not what we see today. Today, if you were to present anything like that to an advertising agency, they would laugh you out of the room. If you worked for that advertising agency and brought that idea, you would be fired. Because the goal of the modern woman is not to exude the kind of biblical femininity that God created women with and calls them to. On the contrary, today the lines of gender distinction are blurred more than ever And in some respects, they are trying to be done away with. It seems, uh, just my observation, that the goal when it comes to women seems to be to make them as much like men as possible in some respects. But again, not really. Because while the modern woman might be seen as a woman of the world in business, and someone who has it all together, and someone who is cool, the irony, and women, you can attack me later if you think I'm wrong on this, but the irony of the feminist movement is that more than ever, women are objectified. 
I was talking with uh, I was talking this morning about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. It is the biggest selling issue of a sports magazine all year. Has nothing to do with sports. Nothing at all. And it's why I don't subscribe to that particular magazine. But I would cancel my subscription if I was, because they've just announced that the man formerly known as Bruce Jenner, who now self-identifies as a woman named Caitlin, will be appearing nude in that magazine in the near future. And it's funny, but it ain't funny, you know. And to think... Let me, and I, I say that to say this to think that the marred view of womanhood today is not related to things like the homosexual and transgender movement. We were talking a little bit about this in Sunday school today. To think that those aren't related, beloved, they are, in, they are inextricably related. Because at their core, both the view of the modern woman and the increasing oppressive influence of those agendas are a repudiation of God's design. Of God's design for mankind, and as we see this morning specifically, God's design for women. Now as we look through this, we we didn't read verses 1 through 9. If you did, you would see that these are the words of a king named Lemuel. And what he's doing is he's recalling what his mother taught him. What should he be looking for as a man? To have godly character. What should he be looking for to live a godly life? To glorify God and all that he does. Well, a lot of it has to do with what we see in verses 10 through 31. And one more thing before we get into the actual text here. And it's something we don't see in our English translations. This is something his mother obviously taught him and wanted him to remember. And the reason I say that is when we teach our children... We try to teach them in ways that, we, that they can easily recall something. We teach the alphabet, for instance, by saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Does the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? Um, this is like that because it's in the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, He, and so on. Each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet so that it would be easy to remember. The point I want to make is we need to know this. Women, you need to know this. And men, you need to know this just as much. God wants us to know this. So we start in verses 10 through 12. And the first thing we see described in these 22 verses are the ideal godly woman's marriage. The ideal godly woman's marriage. And three things about that marriage, three things he sees about that, that the man does. First is that an excellent wife is inestimable. She is inestimable. She's invaluable. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far more than jewels. God wants men to know the value of an excellent wife. And God wants women to know the value of being an excellent wife. She is worth more than all the jewelry he could buy her. She is worth more than all the jewelry she could fit on her fingers and around her neck. Worth more than diamonds. Worth more than gold or emeralds or rubies or Whatever else you could think of, she's worth more than that, the excellent wife is. All the money in the world, all the security in the world, all the earthly comforts pale in comparison to having an excellent wife or to being an excellent wife. She is worth that and so much more to the man who finds her. And why are all of those, those, those jewels precious? Why are diamonds so expensive? Why is? Because they're hard to find. 
They're not impossible to find, but they're more difficult than, say, gravel. They're more difficult than dirt, more difficult than grass, more difficult than weeds. The excellent wife can be found, but in, an, in a world that is ever increasingly supersaturated with sin and the effects of sin, she is rare, so that makes her invaluable. What else about her, though? The, verse 11, the ideal godly woman is trustworthy. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. And that is fundamental, isn't it? I mean, the man-woman relationship, the husband-wife relationship, is the fundamental human relationship that God created. When God created them, male and female, Adam and Eve, He brought them together as husband and wife. The two became one flesh. So what is it like to be at odds with yourself? What must it be like if you cannot trust yourself? Well, if we're talking about a one flesh relationship, that's what we're talking about when a man trusts his wife, and by the way, vice versa too. What is it like to be the double-minded man of James who is unstable in all his ways? You can be, beloved, in destitute poverty. You can be... You cannot have. You cannot know where your dinner is going to come from tonight. But if you have a wife you can trust, men. If you have a wife that you can implicitly trust, then you are richer than you could possibly know. And I say this to the young men who are not married yet as well. Pay attention, okay? Because this is the kind of woman you want to be looking for. And it works that other way too. Like I mean. You ladies know if you can trust your man, that's huge. It's huge. You're not poor then. You're richer than you could possibly ever imagine. Love, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, what does love rejoice with? Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. So there is great comfort in the ability to trust. Great comfort in being able to trust someone else with everything. It's a picture, by the way, in a way, of how we trust Jesus Christ with everything. A husband ought to be able to trust his wife with everything. A wife ought to be able to trust her husband with everything. The relationship between a husband and wife is actually compared to the relationship between Christ and His church in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus is what? He's the way, the truth, and the life. God is both true and truthful. And if you want to be like Christ, woman, you want to be an ideal godly woman. You want to be someone who can trust. Uh, you, want to be, you want to have a man you can trust. And so then in verses 12, verse 12, she does him good and not evil, which sounds obvious, of course. Right? But how, listen, how many marriages do we know of? How many marriages have you heard about which are filled with manipulations? which are filled with half-truths, marriages where one spouse will hide things from the other and vice versa. I was watching a TV show last night, which was garbage, but uh, it depicted a marriage like that, and it just made me think of this. How many marriages do we know of where one of the spouses is outright doing wrong to the other? Too many. We know of too many marriages if we're not in a marriage like that ourselves. And God... I pray you're not. But to be clear, 
The godly woman does not do that. And the godly man doesn't either. But all the days of her life, she is seeking her husband's good, which is a testament, by the way, to the biblical mandate for the permanence of marriage, I believe. So there's the ideal godly woman's marriage. And just to be clear, I, I know and, and I know not every woman is married. Um, not, not every woman will be married. And that, that, in fact, is one of the ways that Mother's Day can be a hard day for women. But this is the ideal for women. These precepts apply to all. And so the next thing we see is the ideal godly woman's behavior. And I wish I had time to go through all the things we see between verses 13 and 24, but I just want to touch on a couple of them. She looks for wool and flax and worked with her hands with delight, in delight. That is to say, she gathers material for making clothes. And no, this is not saying that you have to make your own clothes. And this is not saying that, that it's wrong to buy clothes. The point here is that she does what she needs to do in order that her family be clothed. That's the point here. But I do want to say something. I'm going to make a little cultural observation. That we should not overlook the line about working with her hands in delight. Because that's more important than we might think it is. And, and some of you who are older than me might understand this even better than I do. Because most of you know that I come from a family of divorce. My, my parents split up when I was uh, seven years. May 1984 was when uh, I, I became a child in a single parent home. And my mom remarried uh, several years later. And I don't say what I'm about to say to dishonor my father and certainly not to dishonor my grandfather who got sick not long after that and, and died with cancer. But there was something missing in my upbringing. There was an, a male influence that was upbring, uh, missing in my upbringing. And Jody will testify to this. I'm a klutz with tools. I'm a klutz with doing some things. He was over at my house last week to help with my lawnmower, something that I should have been able to figure out myself. But it's little things like that that were kind of missing from my upbringing. And I lament, and the reason I bring this up, is I lament that I see the same kind of thing happening not just with boys, but with girls in our culture as well. Because how many young ladies today learn to sew? Uh, how many compared to a generation or two or three ago? Not that sewing is the magic bullet that makes you a biblical woman. I'm just saying. How many learn to cook rather than learn where the best deals on takeout are? And I say that as someone who loves takeout and loves going to restaurants. Okay, And I'm not condemning going to restaurants. Don't hear what I'm not saying because... I like doing that too, and the Lord knows I do. It's just to say that we, and when I say we, I mean as a culture, we've de-emphasized the homemaking skills that a woman is supposed to learn from generation to generation because the world tells us it's sexist. The world tells us that's not what a modern woman is supposed to be. And to, to think that she should be that is sexist. As if we suddenly discovered in these past couple of generations that we know better. Beloved, there are definitely ways in which we are advancing as a society. There are definitely ways in which women are advancing. But this isn't one of them. And you know, I like Food Network as much as anyone. But we cannot be more interested in watching the top chefs on our TV than we are in teaching our girls our children, our grandchildren, how to grow into the women God wants them to be. 
And quite frankly, God talks about them doing this stuff. The ideal godly woman is like merchant ships bringing her food from afar. In verse 14, she doesn't always do what's easiest. She does what's best. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. This is a woman who doesn't mind working long and hard. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she's resourceful and she uses what she has. And she invests it and she reinvests it in her family. And if you notice a common thread here, we see an ideal godly woman continuing, continually looking for the betterment of her husband and her children. The way that someone else looked after others. Jesus denied himself and took up his cross and sacrificed himself for us. He didn't take the easy way. He took the hard way, but the best way. The ideal godly woman is looking what's best for her family. And it, but it doesn't, notice verse 20, it doesn't prevent her from outside ministry. I do want to add that. What does verse 20 say? She extends her hand to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. One of the criticisms of this so-called antiquated view of womanhood is that, you know, us men just want to keep them in the kitchen and barefoot and pregnant. That's junk. That's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? Yes, the home is in Scripture to be the woman's primary ministry, but the Proverbs 31 woman extends her hand to the poor, stretches out her hands to the needy. And actually we see in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies belts to the tradesmen. She's doing stuff outside the home too. She considers a field and buys it. Notice, though, in 21 and 22, the focus does shift back to the home. She is a homemaker. Like in Titus 2, Titus 2 teaches older women to teach the younger women in the church how to love their husbands and how to be workers at home. Not prohibiting outside work, but knowing where the priority is and knowing who the priority is. And some of you, you know, some of you may be looking at me sideways right now, and, and, and I know that's okay, that's fine. Because I know this goes against the grain. And some of you are nodding your heads, yes, and that's, that's cool too. But I know this goes against the grain. This is a repudiation. Proverbs 31 is a repudiation of the contemporary cultural orthodoxy. Big time. So, so many think that being a homemaker is an illegitimate profession. And those who do it, by the way, those who do it work harder than anyone I know. But they're looked down upon by the more independent, the more sophisticated, the more cosmopolitan. But no matter what you think, it does not change the Word of God. Not Our opinions on womanhood, my opinions, they don't change the Word of God. This is God's design. Nothing changes God's design. It doesn't change the fact that what we see here in the ideal woman's behavior is that she gives of herself for her husband and her children. She runs the house. She makes sure everything is how it should be and why. Verse 23. This is important. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Beloved, as we've been seeing in our study in Genesis, the gates of the city were where the people would gather, and in particular, yes, the men would gather 
to discuss business, to discuss civic issues, the elders would meet there. And here, the point of verse 23 is to illustrate that the ideal godly woman's contribution to the betterment of her husband and her children and her household is to be so conspicuous that he can trust her and that she makes his pursuits as seamless as possible. What I mean by that is this. Everything she is supposed to be is that so he can be everything he's supposed to be. That's why the biblical view of male and female relationships is something you'll sometimes, this is a theologian's word, but it's sometimes used complementarianism because they complement one another. God created man and woman to complement one another, not for one to domineer over the other, not for one to be subjugated to the other. Yes, there is this thing called biblical leadership, biblical headship. Yes, there is this thing called biblical submission. But they are to complement one another. And his reputation isn't tarnished by her virtue. (coughs) It's enhanced by it. And if you want to follow the logic here then, a man's reputation will be only as excellent as his wife's work in the home will allow it to be. So the woman... Pursuing godliness to the woman pursuing godliness and to the woman who wants to see her husband pursue godliness and be praised in the gates. A lot of it has to do with you and what you do in the home. And that's not me saying that. That's the Word of God. And this is the point where, you know, yeah, but. And we try to rationalize away Proverbs 31 in light of the common culture. We try to fit it into the common culture Uh, instead of trying to fit the culture into the Word of God and conform the culture to the Word of God. But we've got to remember, beloved, before we, yeah, but, the parts of Scripture we may not like as much as others, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, for correction. And if we want to do away, if we want to, yeah, but, Proverbs 31, we might as well, yeah, but, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we can then we're picking and choosing which parts of Scripture we want to like more than others. To that end, then, we see the godly woman's character in verses 25 through 27. Look at 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Strength and dignity are her clothing. The world today, beloved, views the strong woman as one ready to take on the men of the world, doesn't it? Uh, God, though, defines strength and dignity for the woman by what she does to live out her, her, her God-given mandate. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She doesn't need to find her strength from the world. And she smiles at the future. I love that line. I was reminded of it as we were singing uh, the part, part of that song. It, that song, by the way, Proverbs 31 is all over that song. But that, not just for women here. She smiles at the future because how many of us worry... How many of us worry about the future? I hear many of us express worry, and sometimes I do myself. But what did Jesus tell us about this? He said, do not worry in Matthew 6.34. Why? Because tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In another place, Mark, Mark, Mark 4, the, the, the parable of the soils. 
What do the worries of the world do? They choke out the word of God in the parable of the soils. Worry, the reason that is, is because worry expresses a lack of trust. A lack of dependence upon God. So the ideal godly woman gives her worries to God and trust in Him and smiles at the future. And we could use some of that these days, men and women alike. Because there's not a lot of optimism in our world today. You know, we're thinking about national security, national security issues, economic issues, social issues that are all over the news today, uh, election issues, and election issues. But Jesus is still and always king. Praise the Lord for that, by the way. That Jesus is always king. She smiles at the future, and so should we. So should we. The ideal godly woman doesn't let anything or everything else interfere with her disposition toward God or others. And that lends itself to to wise thinking and wise speaking. In verse 26, it lends itself to kindness and mercy. And I'm kind of just fast-forwarding through this. Verse 27, you know, by the way, all this sounds a lot like Jesus, by the way, how he is. She looks well to the ways of her household, the way Jesus looks well to the ways of his church. And does not eat the bread of idleness. By the way, of all the times in the Bible we see the word idle or idleness used, not one of them is good. Not one of them is good. Not, you know, and you can probably finish the parable for me. Idle hands are what? The devil's workshop. That's not scripture, but it's filled with biblical wisdom. Why? Because we are, idleness makes us prone to sin. Idleness makes us prone to sin. Idleness makes us prone to we're taking our eyes off of Christ and off of God's priorities for our life and off of God's priorities for our family. And, and she doesn't do that. This woman doesn't do that. That's her character. And then we're reminded of her family life in verses 28 and 29. Her children rise up and bless her. And today being Mother's Day, I hope that can especially be the case for you. Not only that you can look to your own mother, rather she's still living or not with us, and say, man, she blessed me so much. But there, I know there's others where, where, you know, there's trouble there. Not everyone can be a mother. Not everyone has a, an excellent mother. Not everyone appreciates their mother. But the commitment and the character of a godly woman, and I know this isn't a universal truth. The Proverbs are, are not to be taken all the time as universal truths. What I mean by that is Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. That's not a promise that if you're the best Christian parent ever, that your child will be the best Christian child ever. And some of us know that too. So what, what I mean by that is her children rise up and bless her. I hope so. That's not always the case, but it's often the case. And in fact, in Malachi, you know, Malachi says one of the purposes of a godly marriage is to create godly offspring. And I hope that's the case. That's God's design. And her husband also, he praises her saying, Many daughters have done nobly, nobly, but you excel them all. So her commitment to him, her love for her husband, is reflected in his, he's compelled to love her back. He's compelled to praise her. She works for his reputation and he can't help but love her and praise her. It works both ways. And then... Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Human beauty fades, beloved. 
you may not believe this, but I don't look as good as I did 20 years ago. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. Uh, maybe that's the wrong time to throw a joke in. But human beauty fades, and we all know that, I hope. Physical beauty fades, but the inner beauty of the heart does not. It endures. It's not in vain. The, there, there are TV shows. Oh, I hate. I, I don't mean to. Get, there are whole TV shows built upon enhancements to people's personal appearance. And I'm not going to go any further than that except to say how vain is 99.9% of that. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Because that's true beauty. That's true beauty. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So here the accumulation of all of her endeavors, all of her work, all of her godly pursuits. Let that be the eulogy of your life, woman. Young and old. Not what the world wants you to be, but what God has declared that you be. Our culture has it all backwards. It it, it wasn't the old days and the woman working at home that was oppressive. It was sin. It was sin then that was oppressive. It's sin now that's oppressive. The, the, The thief, Satan, will always use... Whatever's going, whatever the prevailing winds are in the culture, and twist them to his purposes. So back then, he used this, this, this maybe overly patriarchal, maybe it was sexist in some ways, views of women, and he twisted that so that there was a women, a feminist movement that completely twisted scripture. And now that's being twisted even today, so that there's all kinds of these gender issues. Why? Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that life is not contrary to the Word of God. That life is not whatever your opinion says it is. That life is what this says it is to be. Has the feminist movement and does the way the world looks at women today... Has it kept its promise of fulfillment? No. But Jesus has, Jesus does, and Jesus always will. I don't want my daughters to be modern women. I don't want them to be modern women. I want them to be ideal, godly women. I want them to be Proverbs 31 women. I want them to be biblically faithful women. And if we believe God is good, beloved, if we believe that He desires the best for His children, why should Christian women want more, seek more, not be satisfied with what God has designed them to be? And men, we should want what's best for our women, and that's this too. We should want what's best for our daughters. We should desire what God wants for them. And so that's how we should be praying for them. That's how we should be encouraging them. And yes, that's how we should be leading them. I want my daughters to be this. I want my son to marry this.
because ultimately it reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ and His glory. It reflects His love. It, com- it reflects His commitment to His people. It reflects His sacrifice. It reflects what Jesus has done for us. God sent His Son into the world to meet the perfectly righteous standard God has that we could never meet. And He gave up of Himself so that His people could be with Him forever. Just as the godly woman gives of herself to glorify God and her family and for what's best for her family. But you have to know Him to be that in the first place. And so I pray you will. I pray you do, and if not, I pray you will. And I'd be glad to talk to you about that. And, and if you do know Christ, if you have come to Him in repentance and faith, I'll just say this as we close. Don't let the world define what you should be as a woman. Don't let you, the world define man, what you should expect from your wife or your, your daughters. Allow your Father in Heaven to be the Lord He is. And let Him make the definitions. Let Him make the standards. And may we submit to Him in faithful obedience. Let's pray. Father, this is our prayer to You. Raise up women who love You and thus do Your will. Raise up men willing to love their women, not the way the culture tells us to, but the way You tell us to. And may we all live and may we all do just as Jesus did. We ask this in His name. Amen.